Well, howdy! This podcast is a proud member of the Podcon Go Network. Podcon Go. Family-friendly shows that are fun for everyone. Welcome to Elderberry Tales. Grab a small but powerful flashlight. It's time for a story. Today's story is part two of Leany and the Fairies by William Stair. All right, this is part two. So if you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and listen to part one and then meet me back here for part two. At the end of part one, Leany realized that she and Logan were shrinking to the size of the fairies. The now not-so-little creatures began landing around the children, eyeing them with friendly faces. One of them walked up to Eileen, who was now standing, and no more than two inches tall, and bowed low. It looked like a boy— If a boy had golden hair and big wings that reflected the lantern light in rainbow colors, the fairy opened his mouth and began to speak. The sound was very musical to Eileen's ears, like the ringing of many little bells, but she could not understand it at all. I don't know what you are saying to me, she said. The fairy looked startled for a moment, then motioned one of the others to come forward. This fairy looked different from the first one, more like a tiny mouse than a fairy. However, it still had golden fur and the same beautiful wings. This new fairy also bowed low. Prince Ledra welcomes you to our land. He does not speak your language, being a young one, but I have spent time with our human brothers and learned how to speak your strange ugly tongue. Personally, I prefer French, but can speak English when needed. My name is Falso. Many of the fairies made tinkling laughing sounds as Falso finished speaking. They found it amusing to hear one of their own speaking a human language. Prince Ledra seemed irritated by the fact that he had to depend on Falso to speak, and also that the other fairies were laughing. He puffed out his chest and stepped forward, gently moving Falso to the side. He is like a human boy, thought Eileen. The prince of the fairies bowed to Eileen and Logan again, then motioned with one arm toward one of the grass-thatched spots on the edge of the clear space that Eileen had noticed when she and Logan were full-sized. Prince Ledra invites you to come with us into our underground land, If you wish, of course, explained Falso. You may freely enter and leave as you wish. Isn't this exciting? Eileen said to Logan. Let's see how the fairies live. She took Logan's hand and followed the prince as he strutted toward the thatching. It turned out that the thatch grass formed a short tunnel that ended in a large carved door. Once they reached it, Eileen realized it was carved from a hard wood fungus, with ornate designs carved into it, 
and held in place by hinges of stout roots. Prince Ledra's musical voice sounded again, and the door swung out, exposing two fairy guards and a dark tunnel behind. The guards were armed with what appeared to be porcupine quills as spears. Prince Ledra stepped in, motioning for the children to follow him. Behind them came Falso, and then, like bees returning to their hive, in swarmed the dozens of other fairies. Ledra, Eileen, Logan, and Falso were pressed to the side of the cave as the fairies flew past. Eileen saw that each one was carrying a bundle of some sort. What are they carrying? She asked Falso. Food, fairy food. We go out each evening just at dusk to collect dew, mushroom spores, and nectar. This makes up something you would call bread, and it is our food. Sometimes we eat other things. I especially like roasted root grubs. But this bread is our everyday food. I think the bread sounds just fine, said Eileen, shuddering at the thought of roasted grubs. Once the other fairies had flown past, the children and their escorts continued on. The deeper they went, the more light there seemed to be. Eileen realized that the walls of the cave were glowing gently. Falso, where does the light come from? The older fairy extinguished his lantern. There really was a firefly inside it, and the walls seemed to glow brighter. What you see is the trees talking to each other. These are tiny roots that each tree puts out into the soil, seeking connection to other trees' roots. When they connect, they start talking. That light is their conversation. Look very close, and you'll see the light as individual pulses moving back and forth. Eileen leaned very close to the wall, and yes, she could see the pulses, like little sparks moving first one way, then the other. What are they saying? We don't know. However, we do know that when conditions are bad for the trees, the conversation slows. And when one of them dies, it stops. And when one tree is badly hurt, the light shines too bright to look at. It's like a scream. Just then, a bit of dirt from the wall next to Logan tumbled to the floor of the cave. Falso stepped forward and, excusing himself, moved Logan aside. Then he began digging furiously into the wall. Reaching in, he pulled out a large white shape that wriggled in his grip. A root grub. These rascals gnaw on the roots we were talking about. This fellow will make a tasty dinner. Falso smacked his lips in a way that made Logan gag, then tucked the struggling grub under his arm. Prince Ledra led them to a much larger chamber. This chamber was brighter than the cave they'd come through, thanks to a domed ceiling covered in the glowing tree roots. There were fairies everywhere, and the bell-like tinkling of their voices filled the air. In the center of the chamber was a raised area, made up from carved wood mushrooms like the entrance door. Upon this stood two chairs that glittered in the soft light from the ceiling. Prince Ledra made way through the throng of fairies, 
until he and the children reached the base of the raised platform. The prince motioned for the children to wait at the bottom, while he climbed to the top and stood before the chairs. Ledra raised his arms and called out something in the fairy language in a loud voice. The other fairies gradually quieted. Then he began a long speech, motioning at the children. Lini realized quickly that he was introducing the children to the gathered throng. There was much ooing and ahs. Eileen turned to Falso, who smiled and shrugged and said, The prince likes to talk. He's telling everyone how bravely he approached you when you were giants, and then how he shrank you to our size. He'll stop soon enough. Just then, there was the sound of drums, and what Lini thought was a trumpet. The prince stopped talking, and everyone turned to one side of the great room. The trumpet sounded again, and the drums got louder. Then, through an opening in the side of the room, came a procession of fairies. Some had drums made from seed pods, some trumpets that looked like narrow blue flowers. Some carried sharp-looking swords or spears. In the middle of this strange parade were two fairies dressed in ruby-colored robes made perhaps from the deep red petals of roses. One had a very long beard, so long that he had a fairy helper walking next to him with the end of the beard in a basket. The other was very round, with a pile of golden hair rising from atop her head. Neither one had wings. Are these the king and queen of the fairies? Asked Eileen of Falso. Oh, no. The king and queen live far from here across a great sheet of water. We've never seen them. These two are the leaders of our little fairy community in these woods. We call them the Duke and Duchess. They look very old, Eileen commented. Yes, older than many of the trees here. All the fairies you see, including me, are their children. What a huge number of children to take care of. True, but we help take care of each other. None of us have been born here for many years. Perhaps one day Prince Ledra will find a mate and we will have new young. When our leaders become very old, they lose their wings and have one more child who will produce the new generation. Ledra is that child. But why is he called a prince if he's not the son of a king and queen? That's the Duchess's doing. She thinks one day he will marry the daughter of the king and queen of the fairies and thus become a prince. She wants him to be used to the title. How strange the lives of fairy folk must be, thought Eileen. While they were talking, the parade of musicians, guards, and the two old ones had reached the center of the room. Prince Ledra helped them climb the steps and get settled in their chairs. Then he motioned Eileen, Logan, and Falso to come forward. Ledra spoke in the silvery bell speech, waving his arms gracefully as he spoke. The two old fairies looked interested in the human children and motioned them forward. You look like sturdy young creatures, especially the boy. Are you a uh, brother and sister? Asked the long-bearded duke. 
he also asked them their names. Eileen was shocked to hear him speak language she could understand. The old fairy saw her expression and laughed. His voice was more like the rustling of cloth than the bell-like tones of the younger fairies. Yes, I speak your language, child, and a good many others, eh, Falso? Yes, sir, Falso replied. Who are these creatures, Falso? interrupted the fat duchess with the pile of hair. She said it with her little fairy nose raised very high. They're human children we came upon in the forest above. We thought they were lost and afraid in the darkness, so Prince Ledra decided to bring them down here. He explained all that in his speech a moment ago. Don't be impertinent, Falso. Why weren't my husband and I informed before such a rash decision? Why, if they were to return to their natural sizes while down here, we should all be crushed to jelly. Now, now, my dear, interrupted her husband, pushing his beard out of the way. You know it is the fairy way to be kind to humans in their moments of distress. She glared at her husband. And what has it gotten us? They cut down more of the forest every year. Soon we shall die out only to be replaced by those stupid dragonfly-riding meadow fairies. And they, in turn, by the lawn fairies. Oh, the humiliation. To exist only as a picture in some human child's coloring book. Here she gave a large and very false-sounding sob. Eileen was beginning to understand where Ledra got his arrogant behavior. The crumbs never fall far from the cake as her mother would often say. The duke, hearing this, shook his head sadly, then rose to his feet. His beard bearer moved forward with the basket. He began speaking to the gathered hundreds of fairies in their own language, which Falso translated for Eileen and Logan. Friends, we are fortunate to have two representatives from the world of humans gracing our home this evening, we welcome them and will share our meal and entertainment with them. In return, they will, as is our custom, take on a task in repayment. That task will be, here he seemed to forget himself, and the beard basket bearer leaned forward and whispered in his ear. Ah, yes, thank you, Elsino. The task is to defeat and banish our dreadful foe, Turger the troll. If they succeed in this task, they will be rewarded with our thanks and this jewel from my personal treasure. Here the duke motioned, and two fairies came forward, bearing a heavy trunk. The duke drew a large key from his pocket and unlocked the trunk, throwing back the lid. Oohs and ahs came from the assembled fairies as the contents of the trunk sparkled in the pulsing light of the tree roots. The duke bent down and rummaged through the glittering contents. Then he pulled out a huge red stone set in a golden band. It was beautiful as its facets reflected the light. He held it high and hundreds of little fairy hands clapped, followed by shouts that Eileen could tell meant hurrah without falso translating. Dropping the jewel back into the chest, the old duke cried, Prepare for the feast. 
then staggered back to his chair, exhausted by the effort. The sudden change of position pulled Elsino, the beard basket bearer, off balance, and he fell heavily against the round figure of the Duchess. They both, and the chair she sat on, tumbled backward with a shriek from the old fairy. Logan began laughing and could not stop. However, Eileen was in no mood to laugh. What was that about banishing a troll? She asked. Well, began Falso, are you familiar with the legend of the Billy Goat's Gruff? Of course. My mother and father have read it to us many times. Good. There is a bridge not far from here that crosses a deep and dangerous ravine. On the other side of that ravine is a great bell, left to us by long-ago ancestors, the first fairies to settle here. It is our custom to ring that bell each morning and evening at the times of the sun's rise and set. Now, a frightful troll, old Turger, was driven from his mountain home up north when an ogre took over the place. Ogres are even worse than trolls. Turger came here, found the ravine to his liking, and has been demanding tribute, payment, from us every time we cross the bridge. That's twice every day. The evil troll has dug deep holes in the banks of the ravine and threatens to drag any fairy who crosses the bridge down to their doom. We've been paying so far, but the duke has said we will fight Turger rather than ever pay again. Sunrise is the time of battle. Eileen's head was swimming with the thoughts of trolls and ogres. She'd thought they were only make-believe. Like fairies, actually but things were obviously very different than she believed. What is the payment? Oh, the most precious thing, a fat grub twice a day. Why, I haven't tasted a juicy roast grub since that miserable creature arrived. You know the plump one I found a little while ago? Tribute. While they were talking, the Duke had settled and calmed his wife, although her face was still terribly red. Prince Ledger was speaking, his chest puffed out like a proud bullfrog. Falso translated. My brothers and sisters, tonight we feast on nectar and seed cake, for tomorrow our freedom from Turger will be at hand. Our gracious duke declares a night of merriment. Make preparations, all of you. A great buzzing rose from the assembled fairies, and before Eileen and Logan's amazed eyes, they set about transforming the great hall into a banquet room. Tables and chairs appeared, with the blooms of pitcher plants brimming with nectar and an acorn cup at each place. Steaming seed cakes appeared from hidden ovens and graced the table. At the same time, a smaller table was placed between the chairs of the Duke and Duchess, and another chair added for Prince Ledra. Eileen, Falso, and Logan were seated at the head of one of the many tables set up for the non-royal fairies. Both human children discovered they were very hungry, and the seed cake and nectar were delicious. Acorn cup after acorn cup was filled from the pitchers, and toasts of good health and happy flying, as described by Falso, were made again and again. 
the fairies could not resist touching the very different children. And it soon became a sort of game, as one after another, they would run over from other tables, touch Eileen or Logan or both, and then with tinkling laughter, run back to their place. You would think this would quickly become tiresome, but each touch was like a little vibration, which Eileen and Logan enjoyed very much. After all the seed cake was eaten and all the nectar drunk, the tables and chairs were removed. Then the entertainment began. There were acrobatics, such as Eileen had never seen. Of course, she is only four years old. The fairies were aided in their gymnastics by the ability to fly. Then came singing with their wondrous bell-like voices. Finally, there was a mock battle, with Falso leading the winning side. Despite the excitement, both Eileen and Logan were yawning by the end. Sleep was creeping up on them. Time for bed, I see, said Falso. He was still carrying the sword made from the porcupine quill that he'd used in the battle. Along with his furry body, it made him look quite fierce. You did very well in the battle, Falso, said Eileen, trying to stifle a yawn. I've been wondering... All the other fairies wear beautiful thin garments over their delicate skin. You, however, wear no garment at all and are covered in thick fur. Are you a different kind of fairy? Falso looked at her intently, and she was afraid she had offended him. But then he smiled broadly and laughed in the merry bell-like tones of fairy talk. No, no, little one. What you see is my garment. It is the pelt of a vicious shrew that attacked the duke some years ago. I dispatched it with my fine sword here. Here he waved the porcupine quill in the air. And have worn the beast's skin ever since. It makes me feel powerful. <laughs> What's a shrew? Asked Logan. Do you know what a mouse is? Asked Falso. Eek! Well, a shrew is like a mouse, but very fierce. They live in tunnels underground and are fond of fairies as food. Fortunately, they are rare around here. Falso suddenly leapt toward Logan with his arms in the air and making a growling noise. Then he tickled the boy, and both of them fell on the ground rolling and laughing. When he got up, Falso said, That's how I fought with the shrew. Of course, the tickling was done with my trusty sword. Eileen shook her head and thought, boys. A fairy came up to them and said something that Falso translated. Your beds are ready. Dawn comes early and we have only a short time to get to the bridge and defeat Turger. So off with you and sleep well. Falso bowed low and left them with the other fairy. That little person also bowed and then motioned for the two children to follow her. She took them to a small nook filled with the down of milkweed plants. It was delightfully soft, and the children were soon asleep. Well, this is where we leave Eileen and Logan today. We're going to let them sleep and get ready for their battle in the morning. 
Honestly, I'm a little nervous. I don't think either of them has any experience with fighting trolls. And I don't know how they're going to do it. It would have been more polite if the fairies had explained this deal to them first, before shrinking them and inviting them down into their underground lair. But this happens sometimes. You end up in a situation where you have to fight a troll or do something else that you weren't really prepared for, and sometimes all you can do is your best. So, come back to Elderberry Tales in just a few days, and I'll have part three ready for you. Until then, I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks to William Stair for writing this series and so many of the stories that I've been able to share with you. And thanks to you for listening to Elderberry Tales. We'll be back very soon.